I wonder what your experience of honesty with your colleagues uh, has been or is at the moment if you're still working. I uh, remember talking to a colleague, I'd gone back to my old law firm, and this was a partner in my team who I'd looked up to for years. But as we chatted over this glass or two of wine, she said, you know what? I don't actually know much about law. (laughs) Um, She said, I'm just very good at admin, and I'm just so organised. You know what? I feel a bit of a fraud, she said. Amazing honesty from her. And I wonder, I wonder if you and I, if we're really honest, can relate to that. That sense of being a bit of a fraud sometimes at work. I ask the question because, according to one psychologist's journal, 70% of us experience what's called imposter syndrome. You know, that sense of not really being the real deal, of putting on a bit of a mask, of, of, peop- of being scared of people knowing the real us, because if they did, well, they maybe would run a mile, realising actually we're not quite what we crack up to be. Do you know that feeling? I certainly do. I look back at times of clients and colleagues and at court, shrinking um, in many ways inside that imposter syndrome. Well, if that's the case professionally, you know, it can also be the case spiritually. That sense in which we ask ourselves, gosh, am I the real deal when it comes to the Christian faith? It's so easy to look around, compare ourselves to others and think, gosh, Am I missing out here? They, they seem to have something about them that I don't have. And you play the comparison game and you think, well, am I legit? Am I the genuine article? It's an unsettling feeling. and It might be some of us this very lunchtime have known that in the past or, or even this lunchtime. Am I the real article, a real Christian? Well, I think that's kind of the big issue, or one of the big issues that John is speaking into in his letter here in 1 John. You see, there'd been false teachers kicking around the church, and they'd come in and started talking nonsense, untruths about who Jesus Christ is. They're not really the Son of God. And talking about stuff about the Christian life, oh, it doesn't really matter how you live. And eventually they got moved on. Chapter 2 of our letter tells us that. They, they, got, they, they, they went out from there, 2 verse 19. But in their wake, well, they left a trail of destruction. Christians, you can imagine them scratching their sort of confused heads and, and searching their unsettled hearts, just longing to know, well, well am I the real Christian or, or those guys over there? And if we think like that, we can so very easily tie ourselves up in knots, can't we? Sometimes for years, particularly if you're a sort of introspective type, which I think I am, and what you, know, you are on personality types, but, but those of us who sort of lean that way, we can sort of look within and we think, well, am I? Am I the real deal? And so the spring in our step can be transformed into a sort of a limp in our walk. <laughs> And it can plague us for a long time. And so John writes this letter to begin to unravel those knots in our hearts and in our lives. He's longing that these Christians to whom he's writing are reassured in their faith. That the spring in their step comes back. Notice that chapter 5, we didn't read this, but chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things, I write this letter to you, to you who believe in the Son of God, so that you might know that you have eternal life. 
You know, God in his mercy doesn't just give us eternal life in Jesus Christ. He does give it that to us, but he wants us to know we've got it. Like wearing a jacket, he wants us to put it, put it on, but, but know it's ours and it's got our name in it and, and we're living in it and it's becoming ours. We're, we're feeling at home in it. Well, so too spiritually. That imposter syndrome must sadden his heart. No, he wants us to grow in this sense, oh, I, I am Christ's. Isn't that a relief? Oh, isn't that wonderful, he wants us, surely, to grow in. And actually, it is a growth thing. You know, Bishop J.C. Ryan, one of the great old bishops of the Church of England many years ago, wrote about assurance. And he said it's like a delicate plant that needs nurturing and tendering and watering for all of us. Because this assurance issue can come and go, ebbs and flows, for all of us and we need to watch it and keep nourishing it and that's why I think in John's letter here he's given us three sort of reassurances three ways to nourish us you've probably come across them over the last weeks but it's about belief who we believe it's about who we love other Christians and it's about who we obey God himself love obedience and belief that, by the way, is John Wesley's seal in the last years of his life. That great preacher from years ago sealed his letters with that stamp. Those were his initials. And those three words summarised his take on the Christian life. What a lovely thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that, that marked us more and more in the weeks and months ahead? So we'll pray in just a moment. But can I say, as we look at this topic, there'll be all sorts of people here this lunchtime. We're all welcome. There'll be some of us, as I've already alluded to, who've perhaps been Christians for years, but we can't shift that unsettled feeling. And so for the cautious Christian amongst us, I pray that what we'll see is, is as it were, the Lord putting his arm around us and saying, no, you're mine. Look at the evidences in your life. See, be reassured. Please be reassured, he's saying. So the cautious amongst us, but also the presumptuous amongst us. You see, it's, it's quite possible, isn't it, to come to church for years and years and just assume we're okay spiritually. And what we'll see as we look at these points just for 15 minutes, it's as if it's a test, a, a sort of litmus test to test the authenticity of what we claim about ourselves. So for some of us, it, it might just be a bit of a wake-up call. And then I guess also there'll be some of us who are perhaps just inquisitive, we're just looking into the Christian faith, wondering what it's all about. In which case, again, thank you so much for coming. My hope is that as we dig in, we'll see that at the heart of the Christian faith is this love relationship with God the Father, Son and Spirit. That's at the heart. And we see that worked out in 1 John. But anyway, time's marching on. Let's crack on. Shall I say a prayer? And we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for all that the treasures one John has for us and has had for the church for decades, centuries. Please, whatever our need this lunchtime, which you know far better than we do, we ask that by your spirit you'd minister to each of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So do keep it open, 1, 2, 2, 8. Look how our chapter starts, 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes, in the, believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 
And at the other end of the sandwich, verse five, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So for the Apostle John, the first question he asks is, well, what what do I believe? What do I believe? Not just about God and spirituality and human flourishing in general. No, what do I believe about Jesus Christ in particular? He zooms in straight away on him. Because, of course, it does matter what we believe about different people, doesn't it? So if I had if I'd said to you, for example, today, that I've been diagnosed um, awfully with the coronavirus, well, many of you, quite rightly, would probably make a dash for the exit, and you'd certainly make a wide berth of me at the end. No handshakes, nothing, if that's what you believed about me. But if I told you, look, in that orange bottle is actually the cure, the antidote for coronavirus. Well, you wouldn't run away from me. You'd run towards me. What you believe about someone changes everything about how you relate to them, doesn't it? And it's the same too with Jesus Christ. What one believes about him changes everything. And look what John wants people to believe. Verse five, that Jesus is the son of God. That is that first Christmas he comes in all humility and vulnerability. Fully God and yet fully man, as mysterious as that is, to become one with us, one of us. But also, of course, Christmas is just the first steps towards the first Easter. Because he's not just the son of God, he is, verse one, the Christ. That is the promised, gracious, rescuing king who comes not to rule from a golden throne, but to hang from a wooden cross. The one who came to deal with our greatest need, which, shocking to the world, isn't coronavirus. No, it's a far more serious and deadly infection of sin in all of our hearts. And Jesus Christ, sent from the Father in love, comes to meet that need for everyone who will have it. He comes with a cure. He's the Christ, the Son of God. And notice, not that he was those things, he is. See that? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Or verse five, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I was with a mate uh, who I've known for years the other day, he's not yet a Christian, and I, I sort of, we got chatting about Easter and he sort of wanted a reminder of what Easter was all about. <laughs> so he said, oh yeah, I said, yeah, Lent and then there's Maundy Thursday. Oh, no, no, look, sorry, you, you all know this better than me. I'm an Anglican, I should know this. There's Lent, there's Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday and then Good Friday. And he said, oh yeah, that's when Jesus died, wasn't it? Yeah. And then he drank his pint as if that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and I said, yeah, hold up. But then there was Easter Sunday. <laughs> and he, oh yeah, I forgot about that. It's so easy to relegate Jesus to history But John said, no, he is the son of God. He's the everlasting one who offers us that everlasting life. He's the risen, conquering son, as we'll sing perhaps on Easter Sunday. And John says, look, the first test, the first thread I want you to be clear on is this. Do you believe in him, the Christ? Because if you do, well, that's a sign. (laughs) The first sign that you're really his. And when we use that word believe, we don't mean do we just ticking off like a sort of census form or a checklist or that spreadsheet at work you just tick off, yeah, 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 whatever. 
No, believe is, well, it's just like what we're all doing now. Believing is to look at that chair and you didn't even think about it, but you sat down and you're putting the full weight of your confidence in the chair, aren't you? Well, so too, the Christian is someone who, with all the weakness of faith, looks at Christ and says, I do want to lean in on you, to depend on you, to put the full weight of my confidence in you, (laughs) to forgive me, to give me this new life. There's nowhere else I can run to but to you. That's what he wants from us. And of course, that sort of faith is so counterintuitive. Many of our workplaces are we're driven by that pressure to perform, to impress others, to prove ourselves in all sorts of ways. And Jesus says, no, don't do that with me. Don't rely on yourself, rely on me. Trust in my obedience, not your own. Because I'm the Christ, the Son of God. And so that sort of faith, it's so counterintuitive, so so unnatural that it must be supernatural. And that's why John says, if you believe like that, you're born of God. Only God can work in our inner hearts, that sort of faith. Which, if you think about it, is so amazingly encouraging. For those of us who've been Christians perhaps for years... And we know the frailty of our faith, again, perhaps today. Well, even just the faith of a mustard seed in Jesus Christ is, is a sign that God has done this work. And you might not have been spectacular and sudden, it might have been very gradual, but God in his kindness has done it. And John says that's the first test. Do you believe in Christ? That's the first question for all of us this lunchtime. And if we're honest, for those of us who look at that and think, well, I don't know what I believe about Jesus, or, or we think, well, I certainly don't think he's God or anything special like that. Well, again, as Ian mentioned, why not come next week, either remotely if we need to, or um, in reality, here next week, pillar step, come to these events and hear about people who themselves have looked into the evidence and thought, yeah, I think Jesus Christ is the real deal. Why not? Come along. And if you're already persuaded, why not bring a friend? That's a challenge. There's one on your table. Please take one. Invite a friend. Invite a colleague. What, what have you got to lose? Nothing. Everything to gain. So that's the first test, belief in Christ. But the second is, is another thread that is weaved in with that. And it flows from it like a waterfall. You know, a spring bubbling up has one level and then another and another. Well, so too, our belief in Jesus leads to something else. Did you notice that in verse 1? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by obeying God and carrying out his commands. Do you see that? Belief in Christ inevitably leads to loving Christ's people. So these are my nephews here. I saw them last weekend. This is uh, my brother-in-law, Steve. That was his 45th birthday. And Jonty and Sammy are his sons. They've got a daughter as well. But they love their dad. (laughs) It was lovely to see. There they are, all smiling. They love him. They're devoted to him. (laughs) And because they've got the same father, because they're connected to him, well, they, they can't help actually increasingly be growing in their love for each other as brothers and so they'll sit at the table every day and okay there's a bit of fighting from time to time but it's playful and they love each other it's lovely to see them they're connected to each other because of their connection to their father 
And so too for the Christian, we're connected to God our Father now by faith through Jesus, and therefore inevitably we're connected to his other children, other believers. You, you can't separate the two. To be a solo Christian is an oxymoron. So think of England-Wales last, sun, last sun, uh, Saturday afternoon. Apologies if you're Welsh. 33.30 to England. But imagine if the captain, Owen Farrell, ran onto the pitch and there's no one else running out with him. And he says, don't worry, I've got this. I'm a rugby player. <laughs> well, it wouldn't have been 33.30, <laughs> I can tell you. No, to be a rugby player is to be a team player. You you can't have one but not the other. So too with this, to believe in a life-giving way in Jesus inevitably means you're connected up with other Christians. In a love that is not just sentimental and airy-fairy and, oh, we had a nice chinwag. It's a love that is costly and committed and involved with each other. We've seen that already in 1 John. 1 John 3, lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. It's a remarkably high calling that Christians are called to, which of course is so countercultural for us in 21st century London. You know, where you fight at the work at work for that hot desk space and you want your name in the gold or whatever it is. We fighting in our own corner so often. We go wherever we want, whatever we want, whenever we want. But you know, God doesn't call us to treat church as a sort of commodity which we dip in and out of at our convenience. (laughs) No, he calls us to commit to community. It's the inevitable sign of being a true Christian, according to 1 John. That's why you might have noticed the wonderful new All Souls mission statements. One of the six qualities we're aiming for here is to build a community of grace pick one of these up at the end if you want and we say that not because we're trying to be cool or because London's full of lonely people we're pursuing community of grace because that's what Jesus says is a sign of the authentic genuine article it's not an optional extra for the keen beans it's for all of us so can I ask the question of all of us it's wonderful that we're here this, Sunday, uh, this Thursday lunchtime. Thank you so much for coming. But, but I, tentative saying this, but I, I hope this isn't our only church involvement in the week or month. My hope and prayer, and I think the call of one John would be actually Sunday by Sunday, week on week, are we committed to a church family where we know others and they know us? It's easy not to be like that for all sorts of reasons, many of which might be painful. But Jesus says, come on, God, I love you others, brothers and sisters. It's the mark. And so to diagnose where we are on that, I wonder if we looked at one another's diaries of the week just gone or the week to come, how much would real involvement in one another's lives feature? Or if we looked at one another's text messages and the things we say to others in our church family, if we do, ever, what do we say? Or if we looked, and this is a real test, if we looked at the privacy of our private prayer lives, how much would other Christians feature there, really? For John, he says, it's the second mark of the Christian. And the reassurance is, again, we won't do this perfectly, but the reassurance is, look, if that is increasingly your mark, well, be reassured you're one of Christ's. 
love for Christ's people. Time really is marching on, so I'm just going to spend a couple of moments on this last point. But it's there in the text, the third test, the, the third thread that interwoven in this sort of genuine testing is this word obedience. Did you see that? Verse 2, we love God and we carry out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. See, we all follow something, don't we? We all follow someone, whether that's our own hearts, feel, go with what you feel is right, hear that all the time, go with how you feel. In fact, to deny that is the worst thing you can do to yourself, so we're told. Easy to follow the work culture in all sorts of ways, often without realising it. But Jesus says, look, no, I'm, I'm your captain now. You're on my side, you're on my team. You've got to follow in my footsteps. And that's, that's often, that's in the, a thousand and one little ways not just the one or two big things. It's, it's in the little things that Jesus says, you know, in that at work, at home, in the family. In that you've got to go my way, not your own way. And the wonderful reassurance of 1 John 5 is this. It's even if, we be, even if we're only wanting to want to go Jesus' way, and increasingly we are doing that yes with our slip ups yes with our trip ups but that is the footsteps we want to be following well that's a wonderful third sign and reassurance that we're his that when I'm seeing straight oh no Jesus I, I, I do want to go your way not my own way because his way is always the best way not always the easiest often the costliest in fact but to go his way is always a good thing. And when we're seeing straight, we realise that and we remember that. And we say, yeah, actually I do. So I wonder thirdly then, is, is that the mark of our lives? Because if it is, Jesus, uh, John would say, be encouraged. <laughs> that these threads evidenced in your life come together to offer a strong rope to reassure you that you're held by the Lord Jesus far more than we hold on to him and he wants us to rest in that to enjoy that to grow in that as Ryle said to to have that faith and assurance nourished week on week month on month year on year because you know the most effective Christians Ryle goes on to say is is the one who who's so deeply assured that life eternal is theirs that of course they'll spend their lives for Jesus because they know how much he's spent for them. I want them to know, he says, that you have eternal life. And as we exhibit those sort of lives, as we have that stamped, not on letters, but on our lives, John says you'll overcome the world. You will overcome the world. Not just overcome your imposter syndrome, but overcome the world. That is the sense in which we've joined the winning team now, that Jesus is our captain and the victory is assured. And so it's as if he's saying, I want you to have a spring in your step. Yes, the limp will come from time to time. But if you believe who Christ is, if you're exhibiting this love for his people increasingly, if you want to follow his footsteps, well, eternal life is yours. (laughs) And you'll overcome the world. Should be still and I'll say a prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we've seen in 1 John these weeks. And we so long, Lord, if we're yours, to have a deepening sense that we're yours forever. That we have a share in this life eternal you've given us in your grace to those who trust in your Son. Please reassure us if that's the great need for us this morning. For others of us with our different needs, please kindly meet them as you see fit. And so give us that spring in the step because of the security we have in you, our great captain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.